Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. I want to share my heart with you that going into this series, it's really heavy. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those moments that you just know that God wants to speak. And if we remove God, maybe it's something that you know that needs to be done. And yet there's a heaviness about it because obviously I don't ever want to get in the way of God. But I want to preface it by sharing with you that I think God's word is truly a letter of life. I say it this way, it's the greatest Hallmark card ever written. God truly loves us. God really cares about us. God wants more for what we think we actually want. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me say it this way. I'm pretty sure that if you stood at an altar and you held the hands of someone of the opposite sex, there was something down deep that you really wanted to live out a fairy tale marriage. You just did. And what I'm saying is God wants that on steroids for you. God desires it so deeply for you because he's the one that created it. But that's not the world we're in. And so I'm going to come out, if you will, heavy. And there's a reason for that. I just want to share that. And everything I'm going to share with you is a biblical truth. I appreciate what Pastor Reed just prayed is that none of us would be on the defense. But that's what I fear because in this country... That's what most people are, always on the defense. And the reason for that is because it's really all about them. It's in the church. It's all over the church. I've been here for 21 years. I've been around the church all of my life. My dad was a pastor, both grandfathers, my great-grandfather. I've been around the church. I've listened to the word be preached, and I've watched people take offense at God's word, which I find incredibly interesting. And so most of the time, we live pretty much like America lives, with our hands out, what's in it for me? Because that's really what it's about. Most everything that gets voted on is voted out of that mindset. It's not what's best for America. It's not in line with what's important to God. It's how does it benefit me? And the same thing happens in the church. Therefore, something gets said that people don't like. They just pick up their toys and they go somewhere else. They don't speak, even though the Bible says that we're to fight for the bond of unity. They don't think that's necessary. The word of God, therefore, doesn't matter to them. They just pick up and go somewhere else. And basically, even though they're mad at one, they're telling everybody in the congregation, uh, kiss this, and they walk away. That's not Christianity. If it is, well, then we're the biggest fools on the planet because you're wasting an hour of your time today. We live in a consumer mindset that's deeply in the church. I've said it every service, and I'm going to say it again. Right now, this country is a cesspool when it comes to Christianity. Amen. It's a cesspool. The unsaved world is not seeing Christians act like Christians. They're seeing them gossip just like they do. They're seeing them sin just like they do. They see them walking through what's in it for me just like they do. And I read and I study and I just, whether it matters to you right now, the church in America is in the decline. The only churches that are growing are at the expense of other churches. 
fish just going to a different aquarium. But people are dying and going to hell at an alarming rate. And the church could care less. And now all of that is in marriage. And I say that because marriage is the most important thing to God's heart. Because it's the picture, the relationship that we're supposed to have with Him. For instance, if your marriage is struggling, it's because your relationship with God is. Your marriage is nothing more but the fruit of who you are with Jesus. You can read in Ephesians 5, it's right in His Word. But therein lies the problem because this book doesn't really matter. We bring in our thoughts and our ideas that somehow we're so smart and we're not. And I'm going to share that with you in a moment because you need to understand where we're at and setting the foundation for this. Here's what I fear is that some of you are already on the defense, which means you'll go somewhere else next week, which only proves my point. It's really all about you. My Bible says iron sharpens iron. So what you'd want to be if you're really seeking Jesus is being a place that challenges the way you think and that would invite you in to learn more about who God is and fight for the bond of unity. See, that's how it works, but we don't do that. We only go where people tell us what we want to hear, which means we're only shallow at best and we never really grow in depth and we go through life looking for the next entertainment, the next experience that satisfies our hunger. If it isn't there, then we go somewhere else. It's an interesting thing. And it's happening at an alarming rate in this country. You know, this morning at the first service, my phone went off. It was my middle daughter up in Canada. And I asked her, I simply asked her if she was going to be tuning in. And I know she is right now. And I love you, sweetie. I love you, Noah. And they're getting ready to forge this beautiful gift called marriage. And, and I'm excited about that. But they were, I, I asked, are you going to tune in? Because we're starting this new series. She writes back and she goes, here's what she said. She didn't go yes or anything like that first. She simply said this. Do you know what John the Baptist and Winnie the Pooh have in common? <laughs> and then she wrote the answer. The word the, their middle name. John the Baptist, Winnie the Pooh. Now, I thought that was a little weird, <laughs> but here's why she said that to me. She said, I've already been to church, and that's the only thing I learned from that this morning. She said, you better believe I'm listening, and we're tuning in. Amen. But I think that's true with a lot of North American churches. And that concerns me. There is a God who loves you so much. He created this beautiful thing called marriage. And it sickens me to listen to how people talk. They'll come up and go, being a Christian is so hard. And I'm like, you kidding me? It's so easy. Being a non-Christian to me would be hard. Because you have nothing that you live for except for yourself. Which means you got this little thing called life and the older you get, the closer you get to the grave and you realize what an incredible waste of life that you actually had. Chasing things you cannot take with you. That would be hard for me. I find Christianity easy. And by the way, I think marriage is easy when you understand marriage. 
Because marriage is nothing more but the fruit of my God. And the closer I get to him, that fruit just simply flows in the relationship that I have with Kay. We've been married 30 years, and the longer we're married, the easier it's getting. When you understand marriage and how we go about it and what creates the problems in the first place. See, I'm hoping for this journey that even though I know some of you won't be back, saddens me, but welcome to America. But we're Christians, right? Yeah, whatever. So I'm not afraid to say it. People go, you can't judge. Oh, yes, I can. The Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. And I wouldn't know the fruit if I can't inspect it, could I? And my Bible says that you want to know who my followers are. Watch how they love one another. And love doesn't pick up its pieces and go somewhere else and hold on to the hurt and then talk about it. That ain't in the Bible. You play with it you want. I'd rather go to hell then give my life the way America defines Christianity. And I'm not afraid to say that. I'm sickened by it. It's no wonder why we're losing the game, not winning it. We have so many books, so many resources, we have so much stuff, and yet we don't want to know truth. But I'm hoping that for the next 10 weeks you'll step in. I'm hoping for the next 10 weeks that you'll come and say, listen, see, I'm okay if you don't agree with me. I'm okay with that. I surround myself with people who I don't always agree with. But they make me think in ways I normally wouldn't think if I just hang around people who tell me what I want to hear. And they challenge me, and I'm like, well, I never thought of that. And a deep friendship comes out of it. And so I'm hoping that you'll jump in and we're going to unpack the word because everything I'm sharing with you is scriptural. We've got to quit hiding behind this Jesus who didn't exist the way we make him exist. I remind you, it was the church that put him on the cross. It wasn't the unsaved, per se. They didn't like what he had to say. They liked the condition they were in, that they were just comfortable. And Jesus come, came along, and by the word, the word comfort's not even in the language of Christ. God wants us to grow. God wants us to deepen, and God wants us to experience all that he has. He loves you with so much love. And he gave us an incredible manual to show us how to experience that love. And that's why he said, if you love me, obey it. Trust me. Don't go with your feelings. Don't go with your culture. Don't go with your ideas. Don't trust that friendship unless that friendship's with me. And let me show you all that I have for you. And so I'm hoping that you'll commit for the next 10 weeks. We're going to spend eight going right into Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, I'm calling it the engagement. And then come Easter, we're calling it the wedding because that's really what Easter was all about. Because when you really get Easter, you'll understand the marriage. That's why if you're single, quit using that word. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not single. Paul even said, he didn't use the word single. It's not in the word of God. He said, I'm married. I'm married to Jesus. That's where my marriage is. And he said, I wish you were like me. And what he was talking about, not that you weren't married, but if you could understand the intimacy and the incredible, uh, unbelievable things that God has for you in the marriage that you have with Christ, 
It will pour out in every area of your life. Paul found it such a joy to say, I am married. I have this amazing relationship with Jesus. And that's why this series, everything that we're going to teach is for everyone in this room. And I'm hoping that you'll come hungry right now. I'm hoping that you won't find yourself put on the defense. Because if you are, I hope in that moment you'll stop and go, okay, God, there's something wrong with my heart. Because I have people say things that are so far left of what God would say. I'm not offended. Anytime that I'm on the defense, it says more about me than anything else. Because when I'm right here, this is never an issue. I don't have enemies, but one, his name is Satan. You follow that? And so I'm hoping that, that you'll come and say, okay, we're in. For the next, you'll join a life group. You'll get a part. Quit making it about your world. Let's get into God's. Jesus Christ had a life group. He had hundreds and hundreds of disciples, but he modeled us a life group of 12 where he poured himself into and then when the church launched in Acts, they met on the weekends because they had to get the teaching of the apostles. Then they met, the Bible says, from house to house. They were in life groups, then taking what was said, and they let it sharpen themselves to be deeper. And they would grow in Christ. They didn't mean to argue what they just heard, but to wrestle through it and apply it to their lives. Because when it's all said and done, we're all going to have to stand before the Father every one of us, and be accountable for the incredible gift he gave us called life and the gift he gave us called marriage. Amen to that? So if you got your Bibles, I want you to go to Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 2. If you don't know where you're going in the Bible, if you get to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, you're just one book too far. It's the last book of the Old Testament. The last prophecy that's going to be spoken before it seems God goes silent for 300 years, which is the gap between the ending of the old and to the new. We have nothing recorded. I just find that interesting. Maybe because we need to really hear from this prophet as he's crying out. He's calling God's people to make a change. And truth be told, that's how I feel right now. I feel like I'm in a desert land, a wasteland, and, and sharing truth that can change everything if you'll come listening rather than pushing back in defense. That's my hope for you. Church, I want you to listen to this, and I want to be very clear on this. God doesn't care about weddings. He cares about marriage. We care about weddings. We don't care about marriage. Now, I'm going to share why that is. You might want to write these down. Right now in this country, in America, the average couple will spend $33,300 in this country on their wedding. Now, some of you go, well, we didn't spend that. In South Dakota, the average is $14,500. Now, it's give or take a few dollars. I'm just rounding them up. The average couple in South Dakota will spend $14,500 on their wedding. Now, the, most of that is offset if you go to New York where they spend nearly almost $100,000 on their wedding on average. Shocking enough, <laughs> Illinois is really high. 
And Alabama, I think, is, or Mississippi is the low. But in this country, on average, 33,000, roughly 3,400, are spent on a wedding. In this state, on average, 14,500. Now you say, why do I say that? We care more about weddings than we do. The kingdom of God and the marriage, here's why. The average person in this church, every weekend, will give $13 in the plate. And if you get to what you spent on your wedding on average, it'll take you 49.3 years of your life. No kidding, most people, couples, when they come to me and they say, what's the one thing you would tell us to start turning our marriage to the good? And I always say, start tithing. So I always tell them, they say, really, what about our marriage? And I said, oh, that is your marriage. Trust me. Because I think it's the greatest evidence. It's why Jesus spoke about it the most. And it's the evidence that you're putting God actually first. Amen. One of the greatest evidences you can do. If you meet the average in this state, it'll take you 23.3 of your years of what you spent at your wedding. Weddings don't matter. Marriages are everything. Amen. And it hurts my heart the mockery in this country we're making of God. The mockery. That we stand in churches and we get married before Almighty God. And I say that because I want you to listen to this. Two-thirds of the world's wealth is in this country. Of all the money in the world, two-thirds of it is in this country. I've said that to you before. Seven percent is all we represent of the world's population. Think about that. 93% of the rest of the world lives on one-third of the world's wealth. Two-thirds of it's in this country. We're rich. And it doesn't take long to walk this country and see the arrogance of how smart we think we are. We're so smart. Really? It's interesting. Because they tell us that Americans have the highest divorce rate in the world. 7% of the world's population. We have the highest divorce rate. You ready for this? But over half of all the divorces in the world happen in this country. I thought riches buy happiness. I thought we were so smart. If we're so smart, how come we can't seem to get it right the first time? And if riches buy happiness, then why is marriage not working when it matters so much to God? See, somewhere we're going to have to not get on the fence and stop and go, those are true facts. Those are realities. You know, I find it interesting of the words of J. Paul Getty. He was worth billions, billions, and billions of dollars. In fact, in 1957, Fortune magazine named him the richest living American in the world. Did you know that? The richest living American in the world. Whether that's true or not, it's what he said at the end of his life that shocks me. He said these words, I will give my entire fortune for one happy marriage. All that he had accrued, I was told, went through five marriages. And at the end of his life, he looks back and says, I would have given all of that for one happy marriage. And my question is, why didn't you? What is it about us? 
that we have to look back and regret instead of looking up and experience all that God had for us. See, we, we, we have to understand this, church. What is it about us? We're so wealthy and so smart. And what matters most to God, with the vast amount of resources that we have to grow marriages, the vast amount of speakers that can speak into it, the vast amount of counselors that we could go through. And do you know what it is? It's what the prophet said. Pride goes before the fall. Because this country doesn't teach humility. This country doesn't teach brokenness. This country teaches arrive, be here, get on top. And I see it in men because every one of you were little boys once. And you would have never allowed your children to carry the attitude that so many of us older men have with our heavenly dad right now. We wouldn't have permitted it. We would have not let our son do this. Yeah, whatever. And yet we'll sit at the breakfast table with our Heavenly Father and actually talk to him that way. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. And it really hurts my heart. I want the church to be the church. I want God to be who he said he would be and we would allow him to open the floodgates of heaven and that somehow we could humble ourselves and be broken and quit bickering and arguing and fighting and thinking we know when we know nothing, when God knows everything and surrender is to surrender ourselves to him and let him be God and let him show everything that he has for you. What is it about this cesspool that we're so committed to when we look around and see all the brokenness that's going on? What is it about us that we have to keep in our courts having thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of more laws? Do you know why? Because we can't simply just obey the 10 he gave us. We've got to get back to what marriage is about. I read a story about a little boy who came from home from church and, and his mom goes, what did you learn in Sunday school? To which he quickly replied, marriage. Well, what did you learn about marriage in Sunday school? And he thought for a moment and said, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. <laughs> and I think he's right. Because somehow we don't even understand that God, it's like, it's like, how many Christmases keep coming and going where our children open a gift we gave them and it's a sum assembly required and in our arrogance we rip it open and put it together for them without even looking at the instructions. Because we're going to show you, child. And then we look around and they go, what are all these other pieces for? And we do the same thing where God gives us the gift called marriage and he says, but there's some assembly required. And we throw the instruction manual aside and think that we can do it ourselves. Church, you will never experience what God had purposed and planned thinking you can change the instructions of how we put it together. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what God said. What God said about marriage. And so in Malachi, I want you to listen to what the prophet says 
And then we're going to quickly go through 10 key pieces, okay, or excuse me, three key pieces of God's blueprint for what marriage is supposed to be and what he meant it to be and to kind of set up the foundation. So here's Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. Here's what it says. Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? And the answer, of course, is yes. Then why do we profane the covenant? If you like to write in your Bibles, and by the way, here's my hope at the end of 10 weeks, that everybody here will have a Bible in their hands and be looking at it. Because I couldn't say one greater thing to you than this. This is what we need. And it'll really be awesome when everybody in this church brings it. Because they recognize there's nothing greater than this. Do we not have all one Father? Did not one God create us? Then why do we profane the covenant? Circle that word, covenant. The covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another. Now watch this. Judah has been unfaithful, talking about the 12 tribes of Israel. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves. And here's the sanctuary that the Lord loves. Marriage. They've desecrated it by marrying women who worship a foreign god. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 that you and I are to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Maybe you've already gone there, but if you're single, please don't hide behind God and think that God would ever want you to marry someone that doesn't love him with all his heart, soul, and mind. Girls, you're fooling yourself, and you're not following the word of God. And men are players. Trust me, they're players. They know exactly how to play the game. They'll even go to church with you. And then the moment you get married, they'll stop going. And here's the sickness. You want that to be the example for your kids? Because all they're telling you is, I don't care about my kids. I just want you. And what you should want more than anything is that he would want him, not you. The key to marriage isn't the person you marry. It's your first marriage with God. And yet it happens all the time. And you just read what the prophet just wrote. We think we can. We think we can do it. We somehow think, because I've heard girls even say this to me, well, I'm going to lead him to Jesus after we get married. I'm like, well, I hope not. Because you ain't Jesus. If he can't lead himself, you're not going to lead him. What a terrible thing to think. I've dealt with so many of those marriages. Look what it says. If anyone does, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty, because God knows the heart. Here's another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness. He can judge your heart. Nothing is hidden. Why do we think we can fool him? Because we're more interested in the image that we, pro if we propagate to man than the intimacy that God already knows that we have with him. And I'm, I'm just saddened by that. God knows there's nothing you're doing that he doesn't know. 
There's not a thought you have that he doesn't know. It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant, you've broken the covenant. And it isn't just going out and, and having an affair with another person. Jesus said, if you even look at a woman and lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. I know your heart. It's that that I judge. You're cheating on her. You think you're hidden? I watch you do that every day. The Bible says, has not the Lord made the two of you one? You belong to him. You belong to him in body and spirit. And why has he made you one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord. It's right in there. And by the way, I've never met a person yet who's been divorced who doesn't hate it too. Never met anybody going, I'm so glad I'm going through this pain. It's awesome. That was never their plan. They hate it as much as God because of the pain. That's why God hates it. He doesn't want you to go through unnecessary pain. He doesn't want you to go through that. That's why he set up marriage the way he set it up. But maybe you're sitting going, Pastor, it's too late for me. I've already been divorced. Well, let me tell you something. This is the beauty of the cross. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. And when you come to the cross, God can begin to do a healing like you can never experience before. But if you don't come with that brokenness, you're just going to keep repeating the pattern. And I'll say this, a marriage license down the courthouse doesn't make you married. It's the covenant you make before God that makes marriage. All you get is a few tax breaks with a piece of paper. Look what he says, you belong to him. You belong to me in body and spirit. And why, is I make, why did I make you one? Because you're seeking. He's seeking godly offspring. He wants it passed on to the next generation. That's how a country has changed, people. It's through godly marriages that pass it on to the next generation. That's why I always say it isn't the White House that changes America. It's your house. It's my house. I hate divorce, says the Lord. And I hate it when people clothe themselves with injustice, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. It's a powerful word. We can't rewrite the blueprints of God and think it's going to come out different or come out the same. Either way you look at it. There's a way that seems right to man. The end is always death, but there is a way that's right to God and it always brings about life and life to the full. Amen to that? And so I want you to look at the screen. I've got to preface something before I pull through these three real quickly. But in Genesis 2, where it all began, see, now I'm preaching because I trust the word. I recognize that some in this room haven't settled that this is God's word. But always remember this. If this isn't God's authority in your life, you have one. You just need to decide if it's actually getting to where you want to go. And then when you stand before God, you've got to be okay with, with, with understanding, all right, that I'm not going to spend eternity with him. And I'm okay with that. Because God's not interested in my way. He's not interested in your way. He gave me. He's Yahweh. Yahweh. Amen. He's the way. And that's the key. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Amen. That's what Jesus said. Woo! 
And so, church, I'm going to say this. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And despite in this country when someone dies, they all seem to be going to heaven. That's not biblical. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And if you're not following Jesus, you're going to hell. And I have a heart, saddens my heart that there's people in a scratch in life forever are willing to risk that scratch to be forever without Jesus. That saddens me. It saddens me. So look what Genesis 2 says. And I want interaction. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to ask you questions. You shout it out. Then the Lord God made. Who made? God. Come on. The Lord, who made? God. He made a woman. Y'all know what a woman is, right? I'm not saying you understand them, okay? I'm saying y'all know a woman, okay? He made a woman from the rib he had taken out of a what? Man. And he brought her to the man. Who brought her? God did. Which, by the way, I'd simply like to say it this way. Instead of dating to find the right one, rather pray to God for the right one to come. In other words, say it this way. Instead of going online looking for what you want, how about you be in line with God and he'll give you what you need. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called, whoa, man, okay? And I believe that's what he said. I think she, because he'd never seen one before, you know? And I, I can just see God bringing her and he's like, whoa, man. God's like, that's right, that's right, okay? And it is for this reason, and here it comes, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his what? And they will become what? Let me highlight a couple things that I want to preface as a church here. God created marriage. And that marriage is between one man and one woman. Nowhere in the Bible is there any other concept or idea of marriage offered or even listed. Marriage between a man and a woman. I'm not here to pick a fight. That fight's already been picked. I'm just coming to the battle with truth and love because this is the truth that will set you free. I care less what the culture says. I love everybody. But I want them to know the one who loves them more than they can ever imagine. But here's the second thing I say. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then this ought to matter. This ought to matter. It ought to matter. I, I had one guy tell me one time, I didn't say this in any of the other message, but I'll just say, he came to me and he says, how do you know? Kind of with that attitude. Always love it. You know, the love of Jesus. How do you know that you can trust the Bible? And I said, then write something better. I really meant that. I was just like so frustrated hearing it. Write something better. Because man's been trying to do it in America and America's on the dead decline right now. So we're not writing very good stuff. We're not writing very good stuff, people. But God wrote some unbelievable stuff. 
I like what Tim Keller writes in The Meaning of Marriage. Marriage didn't evolve in the late Bronze Age as a way to determine property rights. The Bible begins with a wedding between Adam and Eve, and it ends in the book of Revelations with a wedding of Christ and the church. Marriage is a God thing, and thus it requires the author of it to be in the center of it for it to succeed. And it's been proven for, for many generations by millions of people in multiple cultures. And the marriage has not only survived in God's way, it has flourished. So I say this to say this. If there is a failure in marriage, the fault lies not in the institution of it, but in the participants of it. And we need to recognize that we can experience marriage. So if you got your notes, take them out real quickly. And what I want to do is I want to quickly give you three blueprints for marriage. God's blueprint for marriage. This is biblical stuff of what God set marriage to be. Here's the first one. It's all about commitment. Say it with me. It's all about commitment. Say it again. It's all about commitment. Or as one writer put it, a good marriage is not a gift which the bride and groom discover among the wedding presents. It's a lifelong, built by two hearts, two pair of hands, constantly working together over a long period of time. Now, I'm not asking you to shout this out, but I have a question. Are you all in? And does your spouse know it? Because whether you want to admit it or not, we all become what we're committed to. And if you're not all in, you'll eventually be all out. I've heard it said, when it comes to our vows, the better is easy to commit to, but it's the worse that becomes the defining or as Dr. Mormon Wright said it, marriage is the total commitment of the total person for the total life. I love that. Hey, Y'all remember the serial total? I mean, it's still out there. Okay? If you read it, that's the claim they make. Everything is totally healthy for you. It's totally got everything in it. And by the way, this will sound a little arrogant, but that's why I eat it. <laughs> because it says a lot about my marriage which is weird because my wife likes Fruit Loops, but, I, uh, <laughs> but in Psychology Today, there's an article, Why Marriage Lasts. Listen to this. A key to a lasting marriage is what we discovered is a belief that marriage is a long-term commitment. Here's what it goes on to say. Successful, God-fearing couples view marriage as a walk that sometimes demands that you grit your teeth and plunge forward in spite of the difficulties. How many would agree that marriage has moments? Yeah, some of you some right now, she's like, we're in one, baby. Okay, but, but marriage has moment. It's like Sven and Oli. They were quietly sitting in a boat fishing when suddenly Oli says, I think I'm going to divorce Lena. She hasn't spoken to me over two months. Sven was quiet for a moment, and then he said, you better think that over. <laughs> Women like that are hard to find. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> careful, man. Anyway. It's about to go to another month, okay? But every marriage has moments. But listen to this. But those who understand the covenant that God made in marriage never let the moment define the marriage because it's just a moment. It's just a moment. I, I like what Mignon McLaughlin says. A successful marriage requires falling in love many times over and over, always with the same person. See, I like that. A lot of people don't know that, that I've been married to multiple women. It's true. A lot of people don't know that. And it's like, well, you've been married to Kay. I've been married to Kay 30, 31 years this July. But see, you don't understand that I've been married to multiple women, which is weird. They all have the same name, Kay. 
Because the girl I got married to 10 years after we got married isn't the same girl. And I had the privilege of falling in love with her all over again. And then after 20 years, Kay isn't the same Kay that she was 10 years prior. And I've had the privilege of falling in love with her all over again. And you know why? Because of commitment. I knew she would go through changes, just like I would. But I'm committed as God is molding her and she's changing. See, in the book, Becoming Married, by Anderson and Cotton, marriage doesn't happen with the signing of a contract. It happens when you understand God's covenant. See, let me help you with it. In a contract, two parties never have to be in the same place. They're always separate. It's a contract. It's like salad dressing. You have one part oil, one part water. And so what do you do when you get ready to put on your salad? You shake it up. You put it on your salad, but then what do you do when you set it down? What does it do? It separates. It goes right back to its original state. That's not marriage. Marriage is a covenant. It's more like mashed potatoes. You peel them. You put them in hot water, put them in a bowl, and you mash them together. And no matter how long you let them set, nothing's going to ever take them back to their original state. True? See, this is why my wife never says, you big stud. She says, you're a big spud. You know what I mean? And so, <laughs> anyway. Um, listen to the words of Charlie Tremendous Jones. People get in trouble in their marriage because they get committed to the wrong thing. Watch this. They are committed to their spouse. But the problem is their spouse is human. And there'll be times where your love isn't strong enough to stay committed. That's a contract. I am committed to the institution of marriage that God ordained. The covenant. And to the vows I made to him regarding my marriage. Therefore, being committed to that keeps me in when my love may not be there in that moment. I like those words. So you all in? Does your spouse know? Here's the second piece of the blueprint. It's all about selfless, being selfless. Say that with me. It's all about being selfless. It's not about you. I love this story, and it's not a funny story. Watch this story. It's a beautiful story. It's about a couple that have been married for 35 years. 35 years is a long time. Every morning, his wife would give her or give him a grapefruit for breakfast every morning, 35 years. But you know how age is. Sometimes it affects your memory, and she forgot to go to the store. And the morning came when she forgot to get him a grapefruit. 35 years. And she begins to weep. And she starts passionately apologizing to her husband. I love what he said. That's okay, dear. I never liked grapefruit anyway. <laughs> Think about that. How beautiful is that? Ephesians 5, Jesus said, or Paul wrote, but he's really speaking on behalf of Christ. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by what? Giving, not getting. His words evoke her beauty. Think about your relationship with him. Everything he writes is for your beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of us. Dressing us in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. Wouldn't that be cool if that's how we love? Because that's how we're supposed to love. 
See, if I gave every man in this room, you, you, after church, you go out in the parking lot, and setting out there is a 1968 fully restored GTO. Now, some of you are like, I wouldn't want that. And I'm like, okay, well, when I tell you what it's worth, you might go, okay, I do. Anyway, <laughs> um, but, but it is always funny. But, but right now, I looked one up. It's worth $106,000. And so I stick that fully restored. By the way, my brother had one of those. And he sold it in high school for 500 bucks. <laughs> anyway, um, love it. Um, so, so anyway, so the, it's out in the parking lot. And I have one for every guy in this room. So if you don't want it, you can sell it. But it's worth fully restored in mint condition, $106,000. Here's the thing is, one, you'd probably question why I would bring them to church on a day like today. But secondly, as you're driving it away, you'd be incredibly careful. And when you got home, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't just leave it out in, in the driveway. Because if you sell it, I need to keep it and it stayed. If I'm going to keep it, how cool is that? I'm only going to drive it when the weather is beautiful. Which means two or three days a year in this state, okay? All right? But here's my thing. You would take good care of it. Does your wife feel that way that you would feel about that car? Or maybe she's not worth 106000 to you. A man wrote, Dear Abby, I'm in love. I'm having an affair with two different women. I can't marry them both. Please tell me what to do. And don't give me that morality stuff. I like what she wrote back. Dear sir, the only difference between humans and animals is morality. Write a veterinarian. <laughs> See, the Bible says we're not to copy the behavior of the world. We're not to copy the customs of the world. We're to be a new and different person. And you know what that difference is? Being selfless. That's what Paul wrote. When you do things, when you do anything, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humbled and give more honor to the other than you do yourself. I love those words. Man, when was the last time you washed your wife's feet? Maybe that's something you could do today. And if you can't, at least ask yourself why, because you're on the right road of start asking the right questions. Here's number three, and I'll invite the team to the stage. It's all about a savior. It's all about a savior. If you get marriage, you need to understand this, then Jesus needs to be Lord of your life. Next week, we're going to unpack that more because that's really the key to marriage. When you understand how much God loves you and the way he treats us, and we can learn from him, it's a game changer. See, as I said before, marriage is a God thing, which means it requires God to be in the thing, to be everything that God wants to be. See, the most important day in my life wasn't the day I said yes to Kay. The most important day in my life was the day I said yes to God because everything flows from that. You might want to write this down. Relational intimacy begins with spiritual intimacy. Greg Beale says it this way, God has made humans to reflect him. But if they do not commit themselves to him, they will not reflect him, but they will reflect something else. For you will either reflect the creator or something in creation. We just read it from Malachi. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. See, marriage starts here, not here. It doesn't start at the altar that I stood there with Kay. It started at the altar when I gave my life to Jesus. It's a game changer. If you were to die right now, would you hear Jesus say, well done, well done, welcome home. 
I can't do that for you. But if you don't know him, the author of marriage, you'll never grow with her or him. You'll never be able to truly show him or her. And you'll never be able to grow with her or him. My guess is that no one in this room watches television on black and white anymore. It's my guess. If you still do, let me know because I have an extra color TV you can have. But that would be strange because if there's one thing I've learned in America, we like the latest and the greatest. So the moment color came out and we could afford it, now you can afford it quite easily. There's no more black and white TVs. But why is it when it comes to something like marriage, we'd rather stay with the old black and white? When God has given us the latest and greatest of all the technology. See, a Christ-empty marriage is like a black and white TV. But a Christ-centered marriage is like a color TV, HD, high definition. See, both of the, them communicate an image, but there's only one that we really prefer. I can't imagine anybody went into marriage. See, here's why I say this. If you don't know Jesus, isn't that really a truly an incredible evidence of selfishness? I mean, what you think about for a moment? See, I'm not going to follow Jesus. Therefore, I'm going to go to hell. And I'd like to marry you so I can take you with me. You don't even care about their eternal future. And I'm going to take my kids with me too. See, in my marriage, I know my wife's watching. I know what it's like. See, I think I have something to say because I know what it's like to be in a marriage early on where there was unfaithfulness. I know what it's like to be full of anger and out of that immaturity say words like, I hate you and... I know what it's like to sleep in separate bedrooms. And I know what it's like to call my dad and I said, you know, dad, I made a lot of mistakes and I deserve this. And my dad, that was when the game changed. He goes, what did you just say? I said, I lived a life of sin. I deserve it. And he goes, oh, what an arrogant kid you are. I said, dad, you want to explain that to me? He goes, you think Kay's your punishment? Maybe you're her punishment. You think God likes you more than her? Man, son, I thought I taught you better about what the cross does. God don't give you no plan B. Kay's your gift. He's trying to teach you something about how much he loves you through her, and you're not even seeing it. It's amazing to know where I was and here we are 30 years later and I crawled in bed with her and I can't imagine my life with anybody else. I'm the richest man alive. I love that woman so much. I wish I knew what I knew now back then, but I love the fact that God's grace is sufficient and he's grown me through. See, I think I have something to say to you. There is a God. He cares about you. 
It's never too late. And the devil's a liar. And he can put the devil in his place. And he can rightfully be in the right place and show you that you can experience everything that he wants you to have for your marriage. Because that's the God he is. I love you so much. I'm so blessed. This is not a job for me. I'm not trying to build a church. I want to build the kingdom of God. And that's a different mindset. Because I'm living my marriage as what's coming forever. Not what's in the moment. Because they're just moments. And so every day my goal is to tell Kay and show her what it means to grow in Jesus. Because the closer she gets to Jesus, guess who the recipient of that love is? You see how it works? And at least four to five times a week, do you know what happens in my life? You don't know this, but I'm going to share it with you. My phone goes off. Every morning, four to five times a week, it goes off. And here's what it says. My husband, my love, our Keith. She says, I want to tell you how much I love you. And then she goes and lists my attributes. I love how much you love Jesus. I love how much you care about people and that you're willing to preach the word at the expense of a human reputation. I love the fact that you want so bad to be a dad to these girls. And then you know how it ends? Dear God, help me to be the wife that Keith needs. Help me to express words of appreciation, encouragement. Do you know what that does to a man? See, that's the way that God speaks to me through his word. I get an email every morning. I get a text. And he says, you know how much I love you, Keith? I'm so glad that you love me. I'm so glad that you care so much about me. And then he goes to the Father. Jesus goes to the Father. And you know what he says? Oh, Father, help me to show them how they can be one. Let me show them what they can experience in their fullness. And God prays, Jesus prays on my behalf to the Father. And what was meant for evil in a year and a half that almost ended in divorce, we've been now married 31 years this July. And I want, I want more. And you can experience the same. You can experience the same. You can experience the same when you make God's blueprint. We're going to show you wherever you've been, whatever you've gone through in the next few weeks, we're going to show you how you can experience all. And I believe Easter, the wedding's going to happen. And I believe that come Easter, there's going to be resurrections and marriages all over and resurrections in life, and people are going to rise to a brand new thing. And you know what the world's going to do? I want what you got. Because that's what marriage is supposed to be. It was never meant for you. It was never meant for each other. God put you together because you shine brighter to the world. That's why he put you in it. And so what I'm trying to do is pour gasoline on the, on the, on the fire. And so the world will know. And it's humbling to me how many people write me and say, I want what you got. I love that. And so I tell them, just as I'm doing now, Father, 
in this room are people that you love dearly. I can't even begin to love them like you. And everything you have for them is good. Nothing is to hurt them. God, I pray right now that the attitude of the heart is not defense. It isn't pushing back. God, I pray that in the depths of the heart, people are being broken. They're just saying, God, I want, I want, I want you. I want the fullness. Even if their marriage is doing well, they, oh, God, I want more. I want more. God, I believe that you answer those prayers, that you love them. God, you want to do something in this series that's more than just a weekend and a message, but a transformational moment. God, you're up to something. It's a year of breakthrough. And we want your word to go forth. I don't want to get in the way of it. Always, God, if I've said something that wasn't of you, then God, I pray that you'd erase it from their minds. They deserve better. They just need to hear your truth. And that truth will never return void. So God, thank you. Wow, you're so good. Maybe men, maybe ladies, if God has been speaking to you, just maybe you reach over and grab their hand. That's enough. To let them know, man, I want, I want everything God wants for us. Let them know. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.